book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. We'll finish out, Lord willing, finish out chapter 20 tonight, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, we'll look at uh, 11 through 15, um, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Um, started this last week, Lord willing, we'll finish it up this week. So 11, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Uh, and when you physically, when you found that place, if you're physically able to do so, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, going through verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord that's given to us tonight. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Father, may you now add your blessing to your word into this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I heard a story, um, um, speaking of, of judgment, um, speaking of judgment, I, I heard a story um, that occurred around uh, back in 1908 uh, in uh, Sicily. Um, apparently, as the story goes, and, and the only thing that I can absolutely guarantee and verify is the earthquake. Um, but the story goes that uh, there was a, this town had become so wicked um, in, in Sicily uh, that uh, the, uh, um, they had uh, dared God through, by putting, bringing out a newspaper ad, daring God to show himself. Um, and it is said that uh, within three days uh, time, um, the, uh, this occurred when the, there was an earthquake and a tsunami that hit uh, Sicily and killed 85,000 people in a town of roughly 150,000. Now, uh, there may be some, I, I don't know if that story is 100% true. The earthquake and tsunami certainly are true, whether or not the rest of that is true. I think it does point to us uh, an, an important reality, and that is that judgment does come. Uh, judgment is coming. Uh, judgment does and will fall upon the enemies of God. And so we read in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15, we, we read how God is going to judge the nations, how God is going to judge the nations. And um, we, we've read how uh, he, he, he will judge them before his, his throne, and we talked about the, the, what the throne represented. We talked about how the throne was representative, uh, the white throne being representative of the holiness of God, the absolute authority of God, the absolute sovereign uh, will of God being accomplished, his right of rule and reign. And the fact that uh, uh, it is said that the earth and the, the heavens fled away isn't so much the, the fact that the, that the earth and sky were, uh, were destroyed, but rather uh, are awaiting their final, uh, their final uh, and full uh, renewal, which actually happens uh, in chapter 21 in verse, uh, in verse 1 and following with the earth that is, uh, that is renewed and the heavens that are renewed uh, by God's grace. And so we talked all about this. We talked about the, the scope of the judgment, uh, that uh, they, they were small and great, the Bible 
Bible tells us here that it didn't matter if they were great or if they were they were uh, they in their in their uh, dealings with man or small in 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 man's eyes. But all of them were going. All of us are going to be judged. All of us are going to stand before God, and all of us will be judged. And to this end, then we came to the basis for this final judgment, the, the basis for judgment, the, 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 the foundation, if you will, the reason uh, or, or the, the, the standard by which they're going to be judged. Ultimately, we see here uh, in, um, in, in, in our text that it said in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, ultimately we know that they were judged because their name wasn't found in the book of life. Those whose names were written in the book of life have no part in this judgment, uh, but rather their judgment is different. They find mercy at the mercy seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, they find mercy. We find mercy for all of us who are in Christ. But those, of the, those who are not in Christ, they are judged uh, based upon the standard of their names not being written. But God also says that not only was their name uh, not only judged in accordance with the reality of their names not in the book of life, but he then goes on and talks about other books, other books. And this forms for us sort of the, the, the standard by which men um, will be judged and women will be judged. Right, since each one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, since each and every, since since each and every person will stand there, you know we are we have to realize that there is a basis for our final judgment. It will either be that our names are found in the book of life, or our names are not found in the book of life. And if our names are not found in the book of life, then we will be judged by our own works and words. We will be judged by our own works and words. Why? Well, ultimately, I can say safely this. It is because that our own words and our own works are enough to damn us. Our own words and our own works are enough to damn us. Uh, should, uh, should God need a, a, another reason other than the fact that they're not written, our names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. So we, we arrive at a very vital matter here, don't we? A very important matter here. Since each one of us are going to face the judgment of God, since each one of us will, will, will come face to face with God himself, um, think of it in this sense, that if your name, if the name of, of those who are <clears throat> in the nations who are not found in the book of life, right, uh, if they're not found there, then the Bible clearly states that they are going to be judged by their own deeds. And this is why it says a book is opened, and then he goes on and he talks about other books being opened, and so uh, this has to do with every thought, every word, every deed, every sinful omission that takes place. Everything that happens is written down and recorded, and, it's, and, and so if it's not under the blood of Jesus, if it's not purged and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, it is, it is a fair game to judge us. It is fair game to judge those who are apart from Christ. Uh, it is interesting that um, Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you want to pronounce his name, uh, early church uh, father, uh, noted this, the symbolism uh, of these books, and he ascribed to them uh, that he called them the divine memory. I think it's interesting wording, divine memory, God's divine memory recorded, as if God needed, a re, uh, needed for his memory to be recorded. Uh, but nonetheless, he does record everything, 
And these are infallible, that is, without error, records of all deeds, all words, all thoughts, all motives that are presented and preserved for, for judging and for, for, for condemning those who are apart from Christ. And it's interesting that, that as we think about this, the, the reality of God's omniscience comes into play here. That is, God knows everything. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing is, is hidden from God's knowledge. Nothing escapes God's view. Nothing escapes God's attention. There are no oops or whoops moments with God. God, everything for God is, is ultimately seen and is recorded and is uh, and is reported on clearly and perfectly. This is God's perfect memory being recorded for us, and it in God is overseeing every detail of history with perfect observation, with perfect clarity of, of observation. God sees all, knows all, and is in the, nothing escapes his, his view or his attention. And so for, for, for most of us, this thought can be quite unsettling, can it? I mean, if you think about it, right? So it, it can be very unsettling insofar as, wow, like God knows absolutely everything about, about me. God knows everything, every thought that I've ever thought, every, 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 uh, every wicked thought I've ever thought, every word I've ever said, every God knows everything. Yes, yes, God does. And for those of us who are in Christ, this should serve for us as a, as, a, as a testimony of grace because God knows everything about us and still loves us through his son Jesus. God knows everything about us. He sees everything about us and not because of anything good within us, but because of his grace that is freely bestowed upon us through Christ. He sets his love upon us. He predestined us to adoption as sons, as Ephesians tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. We are, we are loved, we are, uh, we are sought after for his own glory and his own honor. This, this should not be scary in that sense. It should, be, it should be actually a great comfort to us because God, rather than being repulsed by us, accepts us through his son, Jesus Christ. He embraces us as sons and daughters uh, through his son and the work of his son on the cross, Jesus the Messiah. And so for us who are in Christ, this is very comforting for us because our works and our words and our deeds um, are, are under, the, under the blood of Christ, uh, are forgiven and cleansed through the blood, although certainly we will uh, gain uh, rewards or lose rewards based upon, uh, based upon what we have done or what we have not done. Um, we, meet, we meet God not as a, not as a judge, uh, a, a, not as a judge that is, that is um, uh, too, too ready to cast us in hell, but we meet him as a judge who is merciful and gracious because another has already paid our bill, our debt that was owed and so we we can rejoice in this and yet for others this should be very unsettling for those who don't know Christ this should be very unsettling to them this should be a, a reality check for them if you will because every defect every embarrassing sin that's ever been thought or we've ever put behind us God doesn't forget God hasn't forgotten 
For those of us who are apart from Christ, God hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten our transgressions. He, the righteous judge of the universe, sees all, remembers all, thinks upon these things. Sinful actions, sinful omissions, sinful words, sinful thoughts, even those that, that uh, were never written down, were never videotaped, that were never caught, right? These are, uh, by, by anyone else, uh, this is the reality for us. I mean, I would say that, that, that for me, if my sins were made known today, uh, I, I would I, I forget crawling under a pew, right? You would want to, you would want to crawl under the earth, right? It, it, it would be so, such an embarrassment. Um, and yet Christ for us meets us as a loving and gracious Savior, the righteous judge who through, his, through the blood and the work of his son Jesus Christ, God the Father meets us as a loving and gracious Heavenly Father. And yet, uh, those who meet Him as a righteous judge only will have their sins exposed, and they will fully understand that, as as Hebrews 4.13 says, no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom He must give an account. And so we realize that apart from Christ, there must an account must be given. An account must be given, and all the dead are judged according to what they have done. Um, it is sometimes thought, and sometimes even taught, that the only sin for which we are judged is that of unbelief. I, re- I remember hearing this growing up. Well, the only sin that you're ever judged for is what you do with Jesus, as it goes, right? It's, it's what I've heard. I, I heard that all my life, but that's not true. That's not true, not according to this text. It is not true that you are judged by what you do with Jesus or you don't do with Jesus. Um, It is only true that uh, uh, we are in Christ. We are judged based upon the work of Christ and not upon our own works. But But those who have no faith in Christ are judged by their own words and by their own works and by their own omissions. All the actions of those who are not apart, who are apart from Christ will come under God's judgment, and it is not a capricious judgment. It's not, a, it's not just a random sort of fly by the seat of your pants kind of a thing. This is, it's not how God judges. God doesn't, doesn't say, well, let's pick out this one and let's pick out that one and then we'll pass over this one or that one. No, no, no. God takes the time and he lists them out. Uh, uh, and so we would say, well, that takes an eternity. Well, uh, the reality is, is out, at this point, we're outside of time. Uh, so we are, we are existing at this point outside of a, a linear time period. So however long it takes is however long it takes um, if, you can, if you can put a time limit on that which is in eternity. But all the misdeeds, all the violations of God's law will be clearly seen. And it's interesting because if you, if you listen to people for very long, you will hear uh, and it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter. They could be the most vile, wicked person on the face of the planet. And you could, you know, you, they could start talking about what somebody did wrong to them. And all of a sudden, they're the victim, right? They're, they're, they deserve justice, right? It doesn't matter that I'm the most vile, wicked person that's ever lived on the face of the planet. I want justice because someone wronged me. And it's amazing that all human beings have a sense in which we understand and long for true justice. Uh, one of the, one of the, you know, e- even in the the movements today, you hear phrases like, 
you know, no justice, no peace, and on and on they drum over and over and over again, right? Uh, but the reality is, is that even the basest, wickedest, most sinful person, uh, if, if that's a word, uh, is, is they desire judgment, they desire justice, they desire that. And yet they seldom stop to think the, of the full implications of that. They seldom, we seldom stop to think of the full implications of desiring and clamoring for justice. How many people have actually thought of what it means to get justice? And the sad reality is, is, is if all we want from God is justice, then we must be prepared to pay the penalty. If all someone wants from God is give me justice, then you had better be prepared to have your words and your works judged by God. Now, does that mean that it's wrong to ask God to right wrongs? Is it wrong to ask God to, to, to bring about uh, righteousness and justice in, in our world? No, not at all. As long as we understand, right, as long as we understand that justice is not something that we only should call for from God, we must understand that all of us are pronounced guilty before Almighty God. And it's only by the grace of God that we are forgiven. It's amazing how Peter himself even, even illustrates this point, isn't it? And Peter, by Jewish standards, was being very, very merciful and very gracious. Uh, he says, Lord, if a brother sins against me, how many times am I supposed to forgive him? Like seven times? Right? And Jesus says, no, no, not, not, not even close, right? And so um, we're told that Jesus goes on to, to talk about um, how we should forgive one another. But only those who are in Christ can really understand that, can't we? Because this world clamors for justice without ever thinking through its, its ramifications of what that means. And I would even say they considerably underestimate God's justice. And what I mean by that is I think they, they, they have, a lot of people have this understanding of justice for me, or just, yeah, justice for me, but not for thee. Right? I want justice for me, but don't you dare ask justice for you uh, that condemns me because I'm, I mean well. And so everybody goes around, the, everybody says, well, I want them judged based upon whatever, but everybody should give me the benefit of the doubt. Right? Like, I deserve the benefit of the doubt. I deserve to be judged by what I meant, not by what I did. And so as God's people, though, we understand that this is different for us who are in Christ. God's justice is not arbitrary, but it was drunk, it was, God's wrath was drunk down to its dregs by Jesus Christ upon the cross. Because a perfectly holy God must punish sin. And Jesus is our punishment, the punishment for sinners. It's an amazing reality that if you've planned, if you and I plan, could you imagine if you and I plan to only sin once a day, once a day for seven days a week, 365 days a year, let's say we lived 75, let's be generous, let's say 80 years. That's a lot of sin. That's a lot of sin. And God doesn't take that lightly. And yet people, uh, we as people, we don't just sin once a day. 
We sin a lot more than that. We sin a lot more than that. Every time we offended those who have authority over us, every time we lusted in our hearts, every time we coveted, every time we, we, we thought evil thoughts, every time we, we did all kinds of things. I mean, we, we accrue, we amass tens of thousands of offenses against a holy God every year. And because of that, God is right, should he have chosen, to pronounce every one of us guilty and condemned. And yet, because that's the purpose of the law, isn't it? Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Was so, so that the whole world could be held accountable, that the whole world's mouths would be stopped because the law says, see, you're guilty. And because of the preciseness and the fairness of God's judgment, right? because, because of this, God, God rightly judges. God righteously judges. And I'll even say this. I, I think there is a sense... Uh, uh, based upon Jesus' own words in the Gospels, based upon which there will be greater judgment and greater condemnation upon those who had greater knowledge. You say, well, now, wait a minute, where does that teach that? Well, listen to what Jesus says to Capernaum in Matthew eleven twenty three, 23. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. And Jesus goes on and talks about, talks about, um, uh, talks about uh, um, other, other cities, and he likens other cities and says that, you know, if, 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 uh, if, if the things done in you were done in other cities, they would have not been judged. They would have not faced the judgment. They would have repented long ago. So how great will be the judgment of those who hear the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and yet reject it out of pride and love for the world. How much greater and stricter their judgment for those who hear the gospel of salvation. But there is an escape, as I've, as I've alluded to, in all of this, right? Because it says in verse 12, what is the escape? And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so we, we see the good news, and this is the good news from which we, we, we rejoice and we celebrate. We, 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 we uh, gather together and we worship because of God's grace that was freely given and is freely given to us through Jesus Christ. The way of eternal escape, of final judgment, the escape from final judgment is given to us through the person and the work of King Jesus. The work of King Jesus. King Jesus is gracious and merciful to all who will repent and call upon his name. And on our tracks, it was funny because yesterday on our tracks, uh, on, our, on the tracks that we have, on one side it says good news, on the other side it says bad news. And there were, there were, there were a couple guys where, uh, you know, uh, Bobby and I were standing just a couple of feet away from each other, and, and Bobby would say, here, I've got some good news. And they'd say, no, thank you. I'd say, well, here, I've got some bad news for you. And because that's, that's the reality. It's either good news or it's bad news. The bad news is you are lost apart from Christ, uh, lost apart from uh, apart in eternity, apart from Jesus Christ. Uh, or the good news is that Christ has come to pay your sin and your penal the penalty for your sin. And you either will love the world and die in your sin or you will love Christ and live in eternity with Christ. God 
God graciously gave us Jesus Christ. And he gave us the message for how sinners escape final judgment. Every person chosen to be saved by his grace will be saved. And this is why evangelism is so good for us who believe in sovereign grace. For those of us who believe in sovereign grace, and it's not to be used as an escape card or an excuse, right? Never, 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 right? Um, But it is good news for us because we know that all we have to do is simply be faithful to give the gospel away. All we have to do is be faithful to preach the gospel to sinners, to call sinners to faith and trust. We aren't the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be the Holy Spirit. We aren't designed to be the Holy Spirit. We're not designated as, uh, as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the work through the preaching of the gospel. The Holy Spirit draws sinners as the gospel is preached, and everyone God has intended to save will be saved, period. And we can rejoice in that, that all we have to do is be faithful to love Jesus and preach Jesus. We aren't called to say, well, God's going to save sinners and therefore we can just sit back and do nothing. No, on the contrary. Because God has saved us and redeemed us and bought us and brought us out of the land of darkness and the kingdom of darkness, now having tasted the sweet waters of, of life, we now call sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. And it's interesting that this name is full of life. Of life, excuse me. Revelation 13, 8 says, The book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And this this makes clear, this makes clear that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone and has always, always been in Christ alone. It doesn't matter if you were living under the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. Faith has always been, salvation has always been by grace alone through faith alone in Christ. They either were looking to Christ from waiting for him to appear, or we look back upon Christ having come, and now we, we reside on this side of the cross. But faith is always, salvation has always been. There was not a separate way. There is not a separate way for Jews to be saved and Christians to be saved. That's a bunch of foolishness. It's a bunch of poppycock. It's a bunch of ignorant slander against the gospel. There's only one way, there's only ever always been one way, and there will ever only be one way by which sinners are saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Anything else is absolute nonsense and slander against the gospel. And the Bible states that all of us will either be, be, um, be given life based upon the Lamb's life and the Lamb's death that was slain, from the foundation of the world, or we will be given justice because our sins have not been atoned for through Christ. Paul actually says in Ephesians 1-7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And this is why Jesus, or in John, in John 3-16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, or his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. And here's the good news for us. If we have done that, John recounts for us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus took up the cross as a sacrifice for his people to take care of his people's sins. And we do not stand condemned. We stand justified in Christ. 
forgiven and reconciled to the blood of Jesus Christ. It's amazing because in Revelation 13, 8, we're told that this book was composed before the foundation of the world. And it's clear based upon this that election precedes saving faith. We are not chosen because God looked down through the corridors of time and saw that you or I would believe in Jesus. God set his affection upon us for no other reason than it glorified him to do so. God regenerated us because it glorified him to do so. God saved us because it glorifies him to do so. Listen to what John Calvin says. He writes this. How do we know that God has elected us before the creation of the world? By believing in Jesus Christ. By believing in Jesus Christ. And so we realize, for those of us who are believers in Christ, we rejoice in His salvation. But again, that brings us to the ultimate sad and horrible news of those who do not accept those who do not repent and believe the gospel. And that is the penalty of this final judgment. And this, is, this isn't, a, this isn't a, uh, a light topic. This is not a topic that I take up lightly. And this isn't a topic that, that any of us should take lightly when we're speaking of judgment. So what happens to those who don't or aren't found in the book of life? Well, they find judge, justice. They find justice. They find justice as it has been written and codified in the books according to their works. As, G, as they're said, as John reveals in John, or Revelation 20, verse 12. And the sad thing is that if we're not careful, we realize that there will be many who even profess faith in Christ who find themselves here. You say, now, wait a minute. I thought, I thought we had to just believe in Jesus. Well, Jesus says that not everyone who says unto me, in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter to the kingdom of heaven, right? They won't. And they'll say, well, didn't, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all this? And Jesus says, I will say to them, I'll look at them and say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And so we must be careful to examine ourselves, to know that if we are, to know that we are in Christ. Now, once we are in Christ, we must return to the gospel often to remind ourselves of God's grace that is found for us in Christ. We must return often to remind ourselves of God's mercy that has come to us in Christ. But your salvation and my salvation depends upon God's work through Christ and nothing else. Not your labor, not your faith, not your anything, but upon Christ and the work of the gospel that God worked through the Holy Spirit's working. And so the question becomes then, will we, be, will we face Jesus or will we face the Father on, his, on the grounds of Him giving us justice for all of our evil deeds or will we face God the Father with Jesus Christ being our advocate who has forgiven us all of our sins through his blood. And so we must, we must embrace this. We must embrace that God the Father is glorified in God the Son and that he is glorified even, and listen to me, and this is a hard one for some of us, I know, and I recognize this, but this is, this is a reality. 
Either God will be glorified through our salvation because of his dear son and the shedding of his blood on the cross and the work that God has done through us and the faith he has given us through Christ, or he will be glorified through the judgment of sinners in hell forever. Either way, God will be glorified. God will be honored either way either through judgment that is given to the sinner directly in hell or by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so we rejoice that Christ has become the uh, the scapegoat for us, that our sins have been laid upon him, and that through Christ we inherit the kingdom prepared for us from the foundation of the world. It's what Jesus said in John chapter 25, isn't it? In John chapter 25, verse 32 it talks about the nations being gathered before the throne. And he talks about, in in Matthew chapter 25, that he will separate the sheep from the goats. The righteous will be pulled out from among that judgment. And he will say, Matthew 25, 34, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And this is the meaning of Paul's statement. This is, the, this is the meaning of Paul's statement that believers must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it should be a reason why you and I should be zealous in our living, zealous in our preaching of, of the gospel. We should be zealous in all things for the glory of God. No one is going to be saved by their works. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Ultimately, ultimately, their name is not found in the, in, the, in, the, in the Lamb's book of life, and therefore they are judged guilty. And their works simply testify and verify of God's righteous judgment. But you and I understand that our good works, our salvation, is based upon the good works of another. Our good works, our, our good works are because of the works of another, the work of of Jesus. And so John comes and he now says that God has a final judgment here in all of this, isn't it? You say, well, what, what do you mean? Well, in verse 14, look what it says here. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we look at this passage and we see and we understand that death and hell Death and hell are, are, are given uh, and, and are, are, are prepared because of God's, uh, of the curse that has come upon us. It's a triumph over hell and death itself, right? Because death was the curse brought about by sin into God's perfect creation, right? And we must, we must see an end of the curse of death along with, with the abode of the condemned, hell, right, Hades. Because the lake of fire is not hell. It's not Hades. It's not the holding abode or the holding place or the abode of the dead, right? But Paul writes that the last enemy, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And John depicts this clearly by showing hell Hades, and death in, as, as, as beings, as beings. And then they are cast into the lake of fire as well. They are cast at the end into the lake of fire to eternally 
suffer judgment as well. Why? Because there'll be no more death and there'll be no more suffering because everything will be made new. The garden will never be repeated ever again. And God's angels will do what? They will rejoice. God's redeemed people will do what? They will rejoice. We will, we will exalt and rejoice together. Revelation eleven fifteen says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. The bitterness of the judgment of sinners is now over, having been consigned, they having been consigned to a place that is horrific, but justly sentenced. Nonetheless, how tragic it will be that this is the end for so very many who heard the warnings over and over and over and over again, and yet they never heeded the command to flee to Christ. How utterly tragic and horrific and horrible it will be for them to taste, to, to have tasted in this life of the goodness of God and to taste of his mercy and yet flee from him, having bowed the knee at the end. But now, because of their sin, they are forced to acknowledge that hell is their rightful, or that, that the lake of fire is their rightful abode. How horrific and tragic is that reality. And Paul wrote, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And it's amazing, isn't it, that as, we, as the gospel is preached, all we have to do is be faithful and leave the rest in God's hands. That's all we have to do. It's all, all we're called to do. We're not called to, to do anything other than to be faithful, to call sinners to repent and to believe the gospel. It's an amazing reality. It's an amazing reality of, of God's mercy Christ is an amazing reality of God's mercy. And the lake of fire is an amazing reality of God's justice. Going back last week, I told you the story of Adoniram Judson. I told you of how he um, was part of the Skeptics Club. And he, um, his, one, of his, one of his friends who was, who was the leader or main, uh, one of the main leaders in this club um, was uh, adamant about uh, him, about. Christ uh, not being real, God, you know, we don't know if God is real, um, and yet he is the one who ended up dying. He ended up dying in the next room while Adoniram Judson listened all night long, not knowing that it was his friend in the next, in the next room. And it's interesting that as Adoniram Judson faced those competing destinies, as he listened to the death agonies of his friend, although he didn't know it was his friend, in the next room, who had once laughingly and mockingly encouraged him not to fear God or his judgment. Once he found out it was his friend who had died, he was awakened and startled to see sin and the life and the judgment awaiting him apart from the life in Christ. And because of that, he fled to Christ. He fled to Christ. He ran to Christ. He embraced Christ. He kissed the Son. And the reality for us is this. If we believe the gospel, if we repent and trust in Christ, our names are placed in the Lamb's book of life before all eternity. And before that final judgment is rendered, we realize 
how great the need of sinners are to be saved. And we realize the great grace that has come to us who are in Christ. So may we be ever faithful to preach the gospel of King Jesus as we await the final day of God's ultimate victory. Let's pray. Father, our prayer tonight is that you would be honored and glorified. Help us to trust in Christ. Look to Christ. Let us realize that you have been so merciful to us who are undeserving, but yet you have saved us for your own self and your own glory. And God, help us to proclaim Jesus, to proclaim Christ and Him crucified, to the world foolishness, to the Jews a stumbling block, but to those of us who are being saved, the wisdom and the power of God. So may you help us to be faithful, cause us, cause our faith to be clear, and cause us to ever be 